there, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Espresso and Earl Grey, where leisure brewing meets quick thinking. Now, this week we're talking about the concept of identity and what it means in our lives, how we construct it, and who we truly are. So sit back, grab yourself a cuppa, and listen to Espresso and Earl Grey. So Sam, in our lives, we have a lot of different identities that we put ourselves. How would you identify yourself? I love it, because now social media puts this question on me every single day. Yes, yes. For my work, I'm meant to have an Insta account. Yes. I'm meant to be posting on Facebook every now and then. You have to be on LinkedIn. And then I think, okay, which Sam Chan am I going to be today (laughs) on Facebook? Am I going to be family Sam Chan? Am I going to be barbecue slow cooker Sam Chan? (laughs) Am I going to be coffee nerd? So we have multiple identities. And every day is a day where we have to choose, well, which identity am I going to be? Yeah, so for today, how would you define yourself? I am Daggy Dad sitting on a sofa couch in my comfortable dad jeans, which I'll never let people on Facebook see me in, <laughs> let alone Instagram. Not, not without a serious sepia filter or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm wearing a flannel shirt, which I would never let be seen. <laughs> I guess because this is an audio medium. It is, it so is. So I'm making sure I have my audio voice identity audio voice. on. Yes, that's and not my high-pitched nasally uptone voice so even here i'm constructing an identity with which voice i'm choosing to use yeah so identity seems to be so core to our society but at the same time the irony is we have an identity but we want to present a particular identity to people yeah so we're always told be who you really are but that oversimplifies it and it's a little bit naive because who I am on Saturday night at a party is not who I should be at Monday morning in an operating theatre mm-hmm. as a surgical assistant. Yeah, and I find that it's, it's, um, it's strange when I visit my parents. I have a particular way of speaking Chinglish with them that I will not speak to anyone else. There's a different identity as an Asian Australian with my parents and there's a different identity as an Asian Australian to my Anglo friends where I will speak just a little bit broader, a little bit ocker. It's, it's strange, isn't it? Oh, it's so true. So being true to yourself, again, is just a little bit naive and oversimplified. So what is, what's the right thing to be then? I think at the least understand that context is very important. So a Monday morning in an operating room, I need to be a surgical assistant. I need to be scientific, rational, responsible. But on a Friday night, hang out watching TV with my boys, I need to be a little bit more non-time based, Mm. non-task based, a bit more relational. Empathetic. I can't be empathetic on Monday morning with a patient whose leg I'm cutting open. (laughs) I have to be scientific. But as I'm with my boys on a Friday night and they say, Dad, can we watch one more movie? And I could say, it's nine o'clock. You need to go to bed. But instead I go, no, you know what? 
let's go crazy. Let's, <laughs> let's watch another SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So context is very important. Yeah, yeah. But um, there is that crisis of identity, isn't there? The, this is the Instagram me versus the... Facebook me. <laughs> versus the real me. Versus um, the LinkedIn the, me. Yeah, well, exactly. God. Like, um, employers are looking into social media to see who you really are before employing you. I was just watching, I was just reading a news article where a particular famous person has, whose show persona is completely different to their, per, their everyday persona and people are calling them out about it. Talk to us a little bit about that, that, that crisis of identity or that fake identity. Well, of course we can have a total 100% fake identity. <laughs> But in the end, it shows we are complex people mm. where there are multiple entry points into who we really are. And when I present myself, I have to show you I'm a person who understands you and that you also can trust. And so when I'm asked to speak in front of a high school chapel group and they ask me for a bio, that is not when I say, I have a five-year PhD in speech act theory from <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> or even, I love rock climbing, abseiling, hang gliding. No, instead, I have to say something like, Sam is an Asian Australian, just like you. He was once a daggy <laughs> high schooler with a bowl haircut who was never good at creative arts or woodwork <laughs> and was horrible at singing and dancing. Yeah. And people go, oh, he gets my world. And I guess it's that it's about that contextualization that you write in your one of your particular book, the resonance yeah. idea that you need to, in each context, you are trying to resonate with people, but you are at the same time trying to have dissonance as well it's yeah so it's not just iq as you're saying it's eq emotional intelligence but they're also saying it's cq cultural intelligence right so i'm i have to show you i don't have to but it helps if i show you i empathize so that's the emotional intelligence and i understand your culture that's a cultural intelligence but at the same time there has to be some sort of gap between you and me. I'm yes. not you, you are not me, and I have to get yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah. I have to respect what you bring, which I can't bring. Yeah. So that is not the time for me to brag about how amazing I am. Look at me. I'm an amazing, I don't know, uh, surgeon. doctor, surgeon. <laughs> no, I like you, you're, you're amazing. You, you're someone I can never be. You bring that to the table. But the same thing is you're, you're, you're coming to talk to me. Here's something I can give you. Here's a bit of maybe information or experience or wisdom you don't have. So yeah. it's looking for common ground, but respecting that there's a gap between you and me yeah, as well. It's, it's interesting as you say that. It reminds me of the philosopher Levinas who says that when we see the face of the other, it's actually there's an ethical command. Thou shalt not kill. Which is fascinating. And I interpret that as not, well, he interprets it in many ways, particularly being post-Holocaust. He sees it as a directive of not killing the other. But I think it also means 
when we face another, we can't extinguish that person with just ourselves because then the other person isn't another. Uh, we have to face them and see them as they are and integrate them into our relationship. Where that comes through to me was I used to teach at a Bible college for about 10 years. And let's say I'm teaching, I'm this expert, I have a PhD in the text, but in front of me are 30 other students who are just, who are very wise and experienced as well. And so when one of them raises a hand to offer an opinion, I need to respect that they're bringing a welcome perspective mm -hmm. to the text, which I have not seen. Yeah. They have their life experiences. They're an expert. And so the temptation for me as a teacher is after that person has spoken is, is this. It's either to feel threatened. How dare you? I'm the only all-wise known expert in the room. How dare you offer your opinion? So I'm going to talk back over the top of you and take command of the classroom again. The other temptation is for me to summarise what you've just said into my own words, which again has just violated your yeah, wisdom yeah, yeah. as if it has to come through my filter. But if I can respect the, the experience and expertise you bring, I'm going to let your words hang there on their own right. and let the class benefit from what you've just said. Right. That's, that, that demands a lot of self-restraint, isn't it? I can see that in my mind, that thou shall not kill imperative there. Yeah, so if you speak and I talk over the top of you, I have basically killed you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if I summarise your words, it's kind of like I've grabbed hold of you and I'm, you're my puppet. Oh, it's horrible. I hate it when the upfront educator summarises the comment from someone else in, in their yeah, class. Yeah. So I well, feel they just violate. <laughs> it's a strong word, but I feel... What, what has just been said got violated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, well, there are times where to check whether you've understood, you can repeat. But to repeat in a, in a way that's patronising is, is quite, yeah. Oh, it's horrible. And, you know, in my journey as an educator, in my first few years, I was so horribly insecure. You had no experience. You sit up and you get up in front of 30 other wise people you know they're comparing you with the previous lecturer who was highly entertaining, highly informative, highly wise. Words like Kirk Patston come out at this moment right now. I'm being compared to Kirk Patston. And you've only just prepared the lecture 15 minutes before. <laughs> you're only 15 minutes ahead of the class in your first one or two years. So you're so insecure and you're so threatened by questions and you feel like, you, you, so you don't welcome questions, you don't welcome comments, but the longer you do it, the more humble and secure you become. Humble yeah. because you realize, you know what? I will never know, and that's yeah, okay, yeah. and I'm secure in that. And this is where the language really helps. I'm a co-educator. I'm not a teacher, I'm not a lecturer. Right. We're all co-educators yes. on the same journey yeah. to get an yeah. adequate, approximation That's of right. knowledge we're all learners on this road of discovery and we poo-poo that language when we first hear it what is this <laughs> new age goblin book <laughs> but the more you finally embrace and welcome it you actually welcome questions yeah and you welcome comments yeah so back to identity if you if your identity is as a teacher as someone who knows everything and you, and you were talking about being a comedian as well. If your identity is to make people laugh, but then you don't achieve it, 
then your identity gets really hit and really pushed down. How do we have a secure identity? That's right. If, if my identity had been, I've got to be a better lecturer than Kirk Paxton, my identity was, I've got to be able to answer every single question. If my identity is I have to be the all-wise, all-knowing lecturer and teacher, then you're always going to be insecure and threatened. If you say, no, that's not my identity. This is a role I perform. This is a job I have, but that's not my identity. That's not my status. Uh, then that's when it allows you to be humble and secure. And that's when I realise, you know what? My wife loves me. My children love me. Not so, you know, and, and I have friends, so I know I'm not saying you have to be married to have this identity status. But you, you sort of realise, no, I'm bigger than just the person in the classroom. Mm. Uh, my identity rests in a lot of other things and not my performance in the yeah. classroom. Well, how do we... At the moment, we've been talking a lot about how we construct identities. But like we've chatted about before in a previous episode about being more of a collective culture, we get assigned identities. What if we get assigned an identity that we don't like? Yeah, and we all know that as Asian Australians. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know? Well, the last day for Younger. me, like Chance. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Charlie Chan. Oh, Jackie Chan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. That's where it helps that you are not my... To, to know that you are not my only tribe. So you can be horrible, mean, nasty to me. I'm nothing in your eyes, in your community, in your tribe. But you are not my only tribe. I have a bigger tribe than just your tribe. Yeah. And as a Christian, what's this bigger tribe? Well, in the end, it's the family of God. It's Jesus and his kingdom and it's team Jesus. And when we hear Christian, we're going to think, oh, you mean the church? No, no, not my local church on the corner because they can be just as equally belittling. Yeah. Oh, you're the young Asian punk. You know, so my, my parents are Asians and for a long time they go to an Australian church and because my parents don't speak English without an accent, you know, the church doesn't take them seriously. So they can end up, I don't know, they don't, can't even get on a roster. But it's knowing that I belong to a bigger tribe than just the local church. I belong to God's tribe, Team mm, Jesus. Mm, mm. And that, in the end, is my identity and status. Mm, mm. I guess then, having something greater than the immediate, having an identity that transcends what other people has, have given you, makes you a really more secure person. Yes, that's right. So just knowing that... So I, I work as a surgical assistant and in the medical world, which is very hierarchical, I'm right down the bottom of the ladder. And people don't get it until I say to them, you know how I say to them, I was once on a bus and I saw a poster that had a picture of a smiling GP on it and the caption was, not just a GP. And I say, do you know why it says not just a GP? Because, buddy, that is what you are. You are just a GP. <laughs> You're the guy that didn't specialise. You're the guy that had become a surgeon. And I explained to people, well, I'm the guy that didn't even become just a GP. <laughs> I'm the surgical assistant. So I'm right down the bottom. But I turn up welcoming work, laughing, having a great time. Because, uh, you know, for this brief Six hours that I'm in the hospital, I'm right down the bottom of the pecking order, and that's okay. Because <laughs> my life is more than the six hours inside this operating room. Yeah. Well, Sam, that's enough talk about me and my identity. 
Tell me, Matt, how you resolved issues of identity. Yeah, I think I grew up really wanting to be, when I was in Australia, really wanting to be Anglo. <laughs> I remember my dream in the first five, first three, four years was to be an Anglo. <laughs> Anglo Aussie. And that really, really uh, messed with me. Um, so that's why I guess I have this broader accent now. Which to is compensate. To the hyper-ocker <laughs> accent, which all yeah, Asian yeah, Australians yeah, have. That's right. It's funny enough, linguistics, they say that if you've got an accent, uh, you go to another place, your accent can either assimilate or most of the time it doesn't. It actually becomes even greater wow. and ocker. But I guess we assimilated our accents yes. into, a, into an ocker accent. But I think... Also wrestling to be an identity as a Christian. I think I went to a pretty secular high school uh, where, you know, Christianity wasn't really looked down, but it was, it was still, you know, it wasn't, wasn't the best thing to be. And so wrestling as a teenager, as being a Christian, is that my true identity? Is that something that I just grew up with? Is that my parents' identity that I've been given? And just trying to find who I really am. I also love how being Asian kids growing up in Australian schools, what our Asian parents never got was how much social capital there is in ball sports in Australia. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and yeah. Like, if your kid can't kick or catch a yes. ball, your kid isn't going to have any friends. Yes, that's right. I couldn't kick and catch a ball. So um, I went to Scouts, <laughs> where I met a lot of my white friends. <laughs> so it seems to me you're always the odd mm. fish in every yes. every bowl because you're the yes. Asian in an Anglo school. You're doing scouts when everyone else is doing ball sports, <laughs> and you went into primary education. Yes, where as it was a guy. All women. Yes, that's <laughs> there right. were ten of us um, out of a hundred and something. Yeah, so I, I think. It's, it's strange having that kind of odd one out underdog mentality, which, which, you know, I went through high school um, not wanting to do economics, business studies and physics and chemistry. I didn't want to be uh, doing, um, going into the business world or the lawyer world or the doctor world. I wanted to go into either carpentry or primary ed, you know. I chose all the things that seemingly were on the outside of things. And it's, yeah, it's, yeah. So it seems to me you're either very sure of who you really are or you're unsure of who you are. Yeah, and I think that's what, that's what my life was kind of like. I was very unsure about what I am, but it just felt like I just slid into where I was supposed to be. You can call it you know, kismet or, or, or destiny or whatnot. But it's just like every, every time I, I tried something and it did work or didn't work, I just kind of slid into where I am. But who I am, it's actually very fluid if we mm. think about it because they say who you are in your teenage years is not who you are in your 20s. No, no. Who you are in your 20s is not who you are in your 30s. Yes. I think I was a massive extrovert in my 20s. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm a massive introvert later <laughs> in life. Yeah. If, if I was to do a Myers-Briggs personality thing, 
I'll be a different personality mm. in every decade of my life. Mm. And so how do you explain who you are then? I think um, I was a massive extrovert that has turned into an introvert that is now on the middle line of an extrovert and introvert. And, well, you um, are doing podcasts. Yeah, I'm doing a podcast. Um, and it's, it's, I don't know, I think someone once said, I, I was once an ENFP. And one of my friends said, ENFPs, extroverted, intuitive, feeling, perceptive, these people are hardest to find who they are. It takes them a long, long time to kind of fit where they're going to go because I, I kept changing. Um, but I guess it's it's a matter of going through um, your 20s as well, trying to figure out who you are as a person, you know, now as, as a single person as well, where all my friends are married. Um, who am I? You know, that was a really, really tricky one to work out. Um, everyone's getting married. I'm still single. Where am I going? <laughs> All right, so what would you say to me? Am I a hypocrite for, let's say I want to upload a photo of me on Instagram at the beach. Now I've got to decide, will I be with a surfboard? Will I be in a wetsuit? Should I be in boardies? Should I be in a Speedo? Should I put this through a filter? Should I turn up the contrast? Do I want to be blue tint? Do I want to be orange tint? Do I want a vignette around me? Do I post it early in the morning, late in the day? So I'm choosing which construal of identity yeah. I want to upload. Yes. What would you say to me? I think we can, on the one hand, we can say, we do construct our identities, you know, in the way we dress, in the way we talk, in the way we, the interests that we choose and the friends that we have. There's a particular aspect that we do choose our identities, but it's an over obsession of choosing an identity that leads to problems. When we start to go, oh, I'm going to spend two hours trying to present myself in the right way. That's when I think we've left who we truly are to someone that we're creating for others. That's when we've become less about self and more about um, pleasing others. I feel that when I do date night with my wife and she wants to take a picture of the food <laughs> and it's getting cold and then she's uploading it to all her friends yeah, and I think, yeah, yeah. but I'm here, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> eat That's the right. meal with me. That's right. That's right. And I was reading at the Atlantic how Instagram is ruining honeymoons <laughs> because these couples go off. And it's just and all about photos. All one of the partners is trying to do is get the perfect photo yeah. Of them at the beach yeah. with their hair just right, <laughs> being flicked up in a spray of water droplets, where the other part is thinking, yeah. can't we just swim? Yeah, I think that's the tension, isn't it? Because on the one hand, Instagram photography and all that is there and we take it because we realise we're limited. We're not going to remember everything. And I think I was thinking the other time, it was so important for my grandma to have photos because she had dementia and she wouldn't remember anything if it weren't for the photos and then it got to a stage where the photos didn't really help either but the photos were there for a particular purpose if it weren't for it 
then she wouldn't remember what I looked like. But then on the other hand, we got to live in the moment as well. It's that, it's that. It's yes, that and who am, I, who am I constructing this yeah, for? Yeah, exactly, like, exactly. I read this uh, Atlantic, New Yorker article. I read this New Yorker article on this couple in a combi van and combi just screams, you know, authentic, hipster, <laughs> keeping it real. But they were doing anything but being authentic. They had to have product placement yeah. to pay for the uploads. Yeah, and this yeah. guy had the dilemma. He worked out every time he uploaded a photo of his wife in a bikini, he got a lot more likes. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's thinking, is it about the likes? Oh, yeah. ha- have yeah. we sold out at this yeah, point? that's right. And that's where we go back to where you having a secure identity is so important. An identity that's not affected by likes or, you know, by promos, by all these things, which are all kind of temporary, but having an identity that is truly secure is what's going to get us through life. In the end, it's about validation, isn't it? When we upload these photos, we need a like. When we upload a profile on LinkedIn, we need someone to give us a job. So in the end, we are uploading these identities for external validation. And I think there's nothing wrong with validation. We all need validation in our lives. It's, It's whether or not our whole identity is built on validation or not. And Hugh McKay in his book, What Makes Us Tick, says that's the number one human need, to be somebody, to be liked, to be respected. Yeah, and ultimately, who's giving the validation is the big question. And can I be truly me and be validated at the same time without having to construct an artificial me to get that validation? As we come to the end of our podcast, identity, validation, what's one final thing? Maybe each of us can say, what's one final thing you want the listeners to leave? It's nice to be liked for who I really am rather than have to pretend to be someone to be liked. And I think it's be yourself and it's like what Dr. Zeus says. Um, Be who you are because those who matter don't mind and those who mind don't matter. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. That is Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. If you love what you're hearing, subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts or podbean.com. This has been another episode of Espresso and Earl Grey, and I hope to see you next time.